If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, as I continue on with a series of sermons uh, under the banner of taking a stand. And we've been looking at uh, how the Lord dealt with Elijah, who we'll see today uh, took one of the greatest stands uh, for the Lord and for the truth in the Bible, uh, in my opinion. And we looked at, have looked at so far how he has given Elijah some lessons and equipped him uh, with some tools that he uh, will need later on uh, in his ministry. And uh, we looked at the account of how Elijah uh, was fed by the ravens in the wilderness as he was uh, hiding from Ahab, who was very angry with him uh, and blamed him for a drought that uh, was on uh, the kingdom of Ahab. Uh, and uh, among the city of Samaria, which was kind of the center and the metropolis of Ahab's kingdom, uh, Elijah has uh, experienced being sustained by a widow who was at death's doorstep, was starving to death, very destitute and poor. Uh, and Elijah has seen how um, they, Elijah and the widow, how they sustained and encouraged each other. Elijah has... Um, Realized and was encouraged by the Lord that the very man that was after him, which was Ahab, uh, had sent out, uh, basically had had a manhunt for uh, multiple years, uh, that he realizes that the Lord has people in many places. And uh, one of uh, the most godly men that he has probably encountered in the past three years since he first met Ahab and told him about the drought that was coming uh, was Obadiah, who was uh, the governor of Ahab's kingdom, which was right under Ahab's nose the whole time and was actually hiding prophets of the Lord uh, during uh, Ahab and Jezebel's uh, insane attempt to draw Elijah out of his hiding place so they could kill him because they blamed him for the drought. So Elijah's had many different experiences and from those experiences, there's something that he could learn from them and take with him and hopefully draw back to those things uh, when he has, finds himself in difficult situations. Much like David, uh, when uh, David went to face Goliath, what did David do? He looked back on the, uh, you know, he had slain a lion, he had slain a bear. And at the time, David may not have thought a whole lot about what he was learning from slaying a lion and slaying a bear as he protected his sheep, but he would learn later on and draw strength from that, that when he went to protect God's sheep, that he would say, hey, the Lord delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear. Goliath is no big deal. And so you see how the Lord has prepared Elijah for this great stand that we're going to look at this morning. So I, uh, when we left it last time, we left it with um, Ahab goes back to, I mean, Elijah goes back to Ahab. They meet. And remember, Ahab has been looking for him for a long time, going into in and out of nations, making them promise and take a covenant that if he, that he, uh, Elijah was not there. Uh, and if maybe Elijah was being hidden and Ahab found out about it, he may have gone in and wiped out that area. But now he's face to face with him. And Ahab and Elijah have a quick exchange and Ahab basically says, why are you troubling my land? And uh, Elijah tells us, I'm not troubling it. You brought all this on yourself. There's a great lesson in that. If you are finding a lot of difficulty and struggles in your life, one of the first places you ought to look is the mirror. 
A lot of times we bring it on ourselves, but we're too prideful. I'm not going to say naive. I'm going to say we're too prideful sometimes to associate our sin with our circumstances. Now, I'm not saying every difficult situation you have is a result of your sin. I'm just saying a lot of them are, and I'm included in that. Now, this is where we pick up this morning. In verse 19 of 1 Kings 18, it says, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. Now, I'm going to kind of take this a few passages, a few passages at a time. What Elijah immediately does here with Ahab is he says this. All right, this is a, this is a huge competition. That's what this is. What, and everybody loves a good competition, right? Yeah. This is what happens. Elijah says to Ahab, bring me the spectators. He says, Ahab, go gather me all of Israel because they're the ones I want to watch this. Go get the spectators. Then he says, and go get the competition. He says, go get all of Israel, bring them to Mount Carmel. That's our stadium. Go get all the competition, the prophets of Baal that are 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. And he said, so he says, get the spectators, get the competition, meet at the stadium. Now, God doesn't always work that way. Elijah will learn that later on. Sometimes it's a still, small voice. But I think sometimes the Lord says, it's time for me to put my foot down in front of my people and tell them and remind them who is Lord and who is not. So Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto the people and said, how long, how, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered Him not a word. The spectators were silent. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men, not counting the other 400 of prophets of the groves. You see, Elijah is not whining about being the only one. Elijah has set the stage that he's in. Elijah didn't stumble on, stumble up upon a situation where it's him against 850 in front of everybody. He didn't stumble across that. He said, this is how I want it to be set up. It's just me and 850 people and a bunch of folks watching. And then he says, let them therefore, here's our competition. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. Let them choose one bullock for themselves. I'll give y'all first choice. Cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. Now, imagine that you are in the crowd of spectators. Now, if you're in the crowd of spectators... You probably are somebody that, as he has said, and as I mentioned at the very first sermon in these series, you are probably on the fence about a lot of things. Or you wouldn't be there. You would probably be standing up here with Elijah. And don't misunderstand now. Listen, the, the topics that we've got going on today, the transgender movement, the homosexuality movement, 
the political division that's in our country, the racial division that's in our country, are major attacks on the kingdom of God. Don't see those as light things. Don't think that the devil has not been loosed and he is not bringing major attacks against the kingdom. Please don't grow callous to those things. But we do grow callous to those things and we find ourselves just kind of sitting on the fence. That's where all these spectators have been. Whatever issues are on this day, they kind of got one foot in the bell camp in the world. They got one foot in the Lord's camp and they're just kind of sitting on the fence. And Elijah says, get off the fence. I'm fixing to have a competition here. And almost in a very, you almost can hear Elijah saying, my goodness, people, has the Lord not done enough? Why are you on the fence? But just to prove to you one more time, who is truly the Lord God? We're going to make it an, an indisputable competition. We're going to have a winner in this thing. All right. Now you're in the congregation. You're watching this. You're the spectators. And so what you see as spectators is you see the prophets of Baal hustling over, they're getting the wood, and they're, they, they take the bullet and they cut it in pieces and they get the wood and they lay uh, the sacrifice and you're sitting there saying, can you, all right, imagine, you're sitting there, uh, listen, there's husbands in the congregation, there's wives, there's children, there are families. Can you imagine standing out in that, in that as a spectator leaning over your wife saying, I wonder how this is going to go. Because understand, these are not just die-hard Christians. They are lukewarm, fence riding, make the Lord sick at his stomach, Christian. And I say it that way because of what the Bible says in Revelations. I would rather spew you out of my mouth if you're going sit to you, sit on the fence. And so I wonder how this is going to go. And they see them scurrying around and they see them making the sacrifices and getting everything ready. Elijah says, Y'all get first pick, y'all get first attempt. He says, once you've done all that, call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. Now, what I love about that verse is when it says, I, uh, says you call on your gods, and the inspired word of God makes that a little G. He says, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the capital G God that answereth by fire, let him be capital G God. Do you think Elijah had any doubt who was going to win this thing? He's already saying, I know who's going to win it. The inspired word of God that was written here tells us God's already won it. And the people answer and says, it is well spoken. So he sets the stage. He says, this is what we're going to do. And whichever God answers and comes down and consumes the altar uh, or consumes the sacrifice with fire, we will let him be God. And they're like, all right. We're good with that. Notice there's not one single person that stands up and says, no, 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 no. I see where you're going with this, Elijah. We have been on the fence and we repent and, and you don't have to do this for us to know who is the one and true living God. Not one person. You see, once you get on the fence, it's real hard to get off of. And Elijah said unto the prophets, choose you, choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first for ye or many. Call on the name of your gods. Put no fire under it. And they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon saying, O Baal, hear us. Now, again, you're the spectators. The game's set. 
Referee says go. The altar's there. The sacrifice is on it. 850 prophets begin to call on the name of Baal. This is a loud scene. You understand? This is not a little quiet, oh, please, Baal, please, Baal. This is a loud scene. And if you're a spectator, you probably are doing this. And looking, okay, could y'all move? I'm looking to see if that thing starts to get some smoke under it. I, I want to see this. But it says from morning until noon, they called on Baal and there was no voice. And no one answered. And it says, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. All right, we got to turn it up a little bit. So I imagine if you're a spectator from morning until uh, noon, all your watch, how long are you going to watch 850 prophets call out to a God and nothing happen before you get bored? It, w- it would not take me long. I'd be like, I-, I just imagine sitting there with Tiffany, I'd be like, this has been going on for four hours. <laughs> and then Tiffany says, look at them now. They're jumping up and down on the altar. Like, what's going on with these people? But you know what I really think was, was, I think that conversation probably happened in some form. But you know what I think happened after a little bit of time went by and nothing happened? I think the heart of God's people began to be crushed with conviction. I think they began to get pricked in their hearts. Because nothing's happening. Well, it came to pass at noon that Elijah, you know, this is, I don't know. This, this is the biblical version of, of trash talk. I'm not telling you to go do that. The Bible doesn't condone what he did, but I'd probably done it too. Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's talking or he is pursuing or he's in a journey or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. Well, you know that really burned some of them. And they cried aloud and cut themselves. All right, Tiffany bumps me again. Do you see what they're doing now? They are cutting themselves. They're cutting themselves and with, with knives and lances till the blood gushed out of them. Look, they didn't just kind of scratch. Gushed out of them. Major wounds. Here's the lesson from that. I don't care how sincere you are. Sincerity is not your goal. Because nobody is as as sincere as these 850 prophets that are cutting themselves to the point that blood is gushing out after four hours of screaming to the sky and nothing happening. Sincerity is not your goal. Truth is your goal. Now, that's probably quite the scene. It says, and it came to pass when, when midday was passed, we've gone past midday, And they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. All right, now spectators, let's say you've spent eight hours watching an altar. You've seen 850 people screaming at the sky. You've seen them jumping up and down on the altar. You have seen them wounding themselves till the blood gushed out of them with terribly sincere hearts and zero has happened. Nothing. Now, if you are a born again child of God and you are watching this scene and you have had one foot in the Baal community and one foot in the God community, what do you think you're probably feeling? 
I would be feeling a lot of shame. I would be feeling guilty. I'd be feeling stupid, if I could use that word. And I would be feeling horribly convicted. And I want you to notice this. this as I read it this morning, this is what popped out to me. Y'all's turn is over. You've had all day. Okay? Elijah said unto all the people, Elijah is not pointing his bony finger at them saying, I told you so. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus. What does he say? Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. Come here. Look, yes, you've been shown up. Yes, you've probably been embarrassed. Come here. Come here and let me show you something that is going to be life-changing to you. He said, come here. And all the people came near unto him. This, this is a group of people who are doubting, ashamed, convicted. And they, can you imagine as they begin to shuffle their feet? Having no focus on Baal anymore. Baal is probably a, like they, he's gone. He is not going to be part of my life anymore. But they're lost. Understand, they are lost sheep. That's when the Bible talks about lost sheep, we're looking at them. And so, can you imagine, them, like if I was sitting there again with Tiffany and the kids, and Elijah says, come near to me. I'd look at them broken and say, let's go. Let's walk over there and just see. I'm lost as could be. I'm confused. Let's go. And so he calls them over there. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, and whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. That's about 35 liters. Okay. And he put wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels of water, with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice on the wood. Alright. Do you remember at the very beginning when Elijah said, I only, even I, remain a prophet? It's Elijah... It's 850. It's the spectators. Elijah has no disciples with him. Elijah has no followers of Christ with him. He is standing there alone. But he says, go fill up four barrels full of water and pour it on the altar. He doesn't have anybody to help him. But don't you know, this, in a cinematic kind of way, this is what I imagine. I imagine them standing there dead silent. And they've watched him as it probably took 30, 40 minutes, an hour, to rebuild the altar, sack, uh, uh, kill the bullocks, and lay it on the altar, put all the wood. It probably took them a while, and they're just standing there dead silent. Imagine, maybe that husband, maybe I'm sitting there holding Tiffany's hand, and he says, go fill me four barrels of water. And, just kind of... and at some point, there were some people that let go of the hands of their loved one and stepped out and said, I'm going to be a part of what this guy's doing. Now, you, you may not have ever thought about the people that filled up the four barrels of water, but there's something going on inside of them. They're not worried about the 850 prophets of Baal. They're not worried about King Ahab standing over there anymore. They're like, all I know to do is go fill up the barrels. I'm looking for something to satisfy my aching soul for sitting on the fence too long that's all I know to do. That's all he's asked me to do. But, but by jingos, I'm going to go do it. So they go fill up four barrels of water, but they do it three different times. Twelve barrels of water, let, pour it on the altar, 
So much so that it ran down the altar and it filled up the trench. So they saturated the altar. Please understand that. So much so that there's 35 liters of water that's poured off of it and filled a trench up. Now, the lesson there, and, it's, and maybe it's for another time, is that there are times when God sets up scenarios that completely eliminate the possibility of man taking any credit. You see, if he hadn't done all that, they said, well, he had something going on. I don't know what, he tricked us. He made it impossible for man to take any credit in what's about to happen. That's why in the Garden of Eden, Adam was dead in his trespasses and sins. He didn't make Adam sick because Adam would have took credit and recovered himself. He made him dead. Enabled to come back to God. He set that up that way so when salvation came, it would be all glory to God. When he put this water on the altar, he did it so all glory would go to God. Now, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. See, Elijah just confirms what I just told you. You need to know Israel. He's crying out to the Lord. Lord, show them that this is about you, not about me. Now, back to the spectators. You're standing there. There's a little momentum. If you're going to talk about competition, I guess, there's a little momentum shift. There's some men who once stood out willing to follow Baal, if that's the way the result ended up. Men who, who, had, had, their, uh, who had been straddling the fence for so long. There's some men who stood out and started filling barrels of water. There's a little momentum shift. But now, people are people, and they would do what we would do. We would all be standing back saying, all right, are we going to be here another eight hours? How is this going to go? And you're watching intently. Elijah begins to pray. He says, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that, that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. Don't miss that. What is, the, what is this whole competition about? It's about God telling His people to get off the fence, quit halting between two opinions, and I am doing this so you will come back to Me. I am turning your hearts back again. I don't know how this happened. You know, you can imagine however you want to imagine it. But as silence is falling over this congregation, don't forget, Ahab and 850 are watching it. Elijah's there, all of Israel's watching, and we've got this water-soaked altar that if it ignites, defies everything logical about the properties of nature, and they're watching. Now, how do you think that? I don't know how it happened, but in my mind, I hear the sky begin to crackle some way, and maybe some sort of lightning bolt or fire pours down from the sky, and just ignites this altar, not in a little tiny flame, but in a consuming fire, if you will. And I hope you catch that reference. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. It got it all. And when all the people saw it, what did they do? They did what they ought to have done. They did what we need to do. They got off the fence 
they, the Bible says they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. Now, it's a shame that we are in such a corrupt state that you got it. The Lord has to go to this length to get us to do that. But why did he take it to this extent instead of just wiping away all of his people? It's because he loves his people. If I've got to go to an extreme measure to get the attention of my children because I love them, I will do it. And the Lord loves His people. And it's a shame it took this to do it. But it, it worked. The competition is over. The congregation is no longer on the fence. They've all fallen down on their faces. And they are all saying, the Lord won. And He is God. Now, and Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now, i got one minute. What did Elijah learn from this lesson? The lesson is put your confidence in your God. That's the lesson. The Bible says, I think it's in 1 John, it says, Beloved, if your heart condemns you not, have confidence in your God. Now, one of the reasons we don't have confidence in our God is because we're condemned in our heart. Because we know we've been living in a way that we shouldn't live. And it's hard to have confidence in a God to deliver you. Uh, when my grandfather was in the war, he wrote a letter to his brother who was also stationed somewhere in the war, if I remember that correctly. The letter was to his younger brother. And one of the things he said in that letter to his brother he says, you're going to be faced with all kinds of temptations when you're uh, you know, a soldier overseas. There's going to be a lot of temptations coming your way. He said, but don't forget, it takes a man with a clear conscience to stand before the Lord. And, you know, and I understand uh, a man with a broken conscience can go to the Lord, absolutely. But he's saying, look, if you're going to call on the name of the Lord, if you're on the battlefield and you're scared and you're going to call on the name of the Lord... You need to have a heart that has not condemned you for the wickedness that you've been willingly living in all this time. To stand, to go to the Lord in confidence, it would be hard for me to go to somebody and ask them for a favor when I know that I've been cheating them and lying to them and doing them wrong behind their back. But if I know I have done them right and I've been acting in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, my heart doesn't condemn me. It's easier for me to go to them. Elijah has learned, and he will need this later, that if you're going to put confidence in something when it comes to being delivered, put confidence in God because you can call out to Baal all you want to. He's not going to answer. But this is probably what the people faced as they sat on the fence. Can the Lord provide the entertainment that a life with Baal can provide? Can the Lord provide the joy that I experience when I'm in the community with the Baal worshipers? Can the Lord sustain me and give me the pleasures and the riches that I experience in the world? And what they saw was, yes, because there is no bell. But we as God's people say, if I follow the Lord, can I have as much joy in the Lord as I have in the world? Can I have as much uh, peace and entertainment with the Lord as I have in the world? Can I have as many friends with the Lord as I have in the world? How long are you going to halt between two opinions? Don't make the Lord consume a wet, dripping altar to get our attention. The lesson that Elijah learned, put confidence in God. That's something that Paul wrote the church at Philippi. He said, put no confidence in your flesh. And I'm guilty as, just as guilty as the next person to put confidence in everything I can think of. And when they all fail me, 
I go to the Lord. And that's not, look, I'll let you down. I have let you down. Brother Tim will let you down. Don't put your confidence in us. Don't put your confidence in your family. Or put, the, put your confidence in the Lord, especially, especially as you'll see when the wicked people of the world, the Jezebels of the world come after you. You better put your confidence in the Lord, not your pocketbook, not your armed security guard, not your friends. You better put it in the Lord. I hope that's been profitable to you. And please pray for Brother Tim.